You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts. Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! It's Week 10, Saints fans. Inside Black and Gold, Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak gearing you up for Saints at Pittsburgh Steelers. A battle of black and yellow versus black and gold. We'll be talking with Odyssey podcast host Colin Dunlap of fourth down in the steel city and jeff we had a lot of news to get to actually heading into this game there's some injury status and a return of a player which is a big positive yeah we're gonna get into a lot today so we're gonna talk to obviously colin dunlap in the final segment he's gonna break down a lot of what we're gonna see in the steelers matchup this this sunday we're gonna kind of go through some news and notes we talked to pete carmichael and chris richard today and i thought they had a a few comments that are definitely worth diving into. I do want to talk about DeMario as a pass rusher because I, I think he had some interesting things today in that front. Um, but then the biggest news, Trevor Penning, rookie, haven't seen him on the field yet this season. He has been designated to return from injured reserve. We actually caught up with him in the locker room today. So we're going to play that interview or at least you know a slightly abridged version of that interview in the second segment. So you're going to hear a lot of what he had to say on the injury and kind of the work he's had to do to come back and all that. But yeah, as you mentioned, there are a few transactions that we want to get to first. So the Saints have signed fullback Adam Prentice and linebacker Nephi Sewell from the practice squad to the active roster. So that's probably not a great sign for Pete Warner's availability. Yeah. Um, And it means that we're probably going to see Caden Ellis starting at the will linebacker spot, which would mean you're probably going to see Zach Bond at the Sam linebacker spot. So it's going to be some, some interesting decisions to be made there. They also signed Derek Kelly, familiar name and linebacker, Kenny young, another guy who was here previously to the practice squad in place of those two guys you elevated. 
And as we mentioned, they designated Trevor Penning to return from injured reserve. So, you know, a lot of changes. And I think it's kind of foreshadowing some absences, right? They didn't practice on Wednesday. They had that estimated practice report that came out, but not seen it practice. Still Marshawn Lattimore, linebacker Pete Werner, uh, center Eric McCoy. Surprising one. Also, Andrews Pete, who I said, yeah, had left the game late in the fourth quarter in that Baltimore game. He has a tricep issue. Still no Mark Ingram. But a surprise today for me was seeing safety Marcus May pop up with an abdomen injury. It's so funny how all of these injuries seem to like go in waves. Like it's all the same. It's either a toe or a rib or an abdomen or calf and ankle. Like there's no, there's there's always multiple versions of these injuries. I was going to say, you mentioned calf on a limited basis. That was Marcus Davenport who left last game as well. He's dealing with the calf issue, still limited. Also Jarvis Landry ankle Uh, Cam Jordan and Ryan Ramchuk just getting a veteran's day rest. Knock on wood. Thank you. Yeah, and, and Ryan also is listed with a knee injury, and I think he's just maintenance more than anything else. Right, exactly. Um, he's a veteran player. But yeah, I mean, so the the thing to keep in mind going into this matchup is the Saints are going to be going into a game on six days rest. The Steelers are going into this game on 14 days rest. They are coming off of a bye, which like, come on, guys. Like, Thanks, NFL. They spend so much time putting these schedules together. They couldn't have found a way to make sure a team on a short week isn't facing a team coming off a bye. Like, I, I, I mean, come on. It, that doesn't make it, any it's sense. It's the absolute shortest of short weeks because the Saints played Monday night football. It wasn't even like they had a Sunday afternoon game. Well, it's not the shortest. Why? That's the shortest they could be playing. week you could have. Oh, the no, shortest week you could have is if they you're play, playing they play someone Thursday? on Thursday night. <laughs> So it's close. The only thing they could have done to make this worse would be to have the Saints coming off Monday night football and then playing on Sunday and then playing on Thursday. (laughs) And then the Steelers hadn't played since like two weeks earlier. So technically that could have been the worst. But yeah, no, I I agree with you. Don't give the NFL any ideas, please. It's it's nonsense. Uh, Like it's it's like they didn't think about it because like that should work into the equation. But, you know, like the Saints aren't going to use it as an excuse, but like it's a built-in excuse because it's like, that's stupid. Like, right. You would think you would at least think Pittsburgh's traveling to new Orleans on this one. Oh, right. 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 And they're the home team. (laughs) Yeah. Like Jesus, come on. Uh, Anyway, I don't think they did it intentionally. I just think they're inept. Probably. And it's, and if if they, if they didn't, if they were like, just throwing the schedule together too. And it's like, Oh, this kind of screws the saints. It's like, ah, so what it's new Orleans. Speaking of inept. No, that's that's rude. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I really went in hard on was <laughs> Taysom Hill's usage mm. in the game in week nine and really his lack of usage in, in obvious situations where it would have made sense to use him. We talked to Pete Carmichael today, and I do feel bad for Pete because he went like 16 years that ever happened to talk to the media. And then now he now has it's every week, every week. And we just constantly ask him, like, why don't you use Taysom Hill more? Why don't you use Taysom Hill more? What if you used him more? Have you thought about using him more? And he's like, you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to try, blah, blah, blah. And what he did say that is actually fair is in this game, you only ran 49 plays. 20 of those plays were in like hurry up situations, right? So realistically speaking, there was 30 plays where you could have potentially worked him in. So like the opportunities were not ample, first off. Second off, that he still could have been used more and he, he conceded that. But one of the situations that I thought stood out was 
It was third and one. I think it was the second drive of the game. It was either the first drive or the second drive of the game. They ran a power set and it was Alvin Kamara in there. So I asked him about like what went into that call and here's what he had to say. Yeah, I think that, you know, as we went through the, um, the game plan process and then put a, um, you know, our short yardage list together, we usually get together and say, hey, coming out of the gate, we let our players know, hey, this is going to be the first third and short call. And then, um, you know, that was our choice. And obviously, um, you know, I wish I had picked something different. So I like that he, he admits he's like, yeah, it was bad. But so I think that's and this is what I thought was probably the case after the game. And I think that's what a lot of people tend to forget is early on in the game, you scripted a lot of these plays. Right. So it wasn't so much, OK, this is the situation. And we're saying, OK, Alvin, you go. This was a decision made prior to the game. So like he's not even calling that in the moment. It's just like this is the first third, third and short play we're running. And you go out there and you do it. Now, should that decision have been different prior to the game? Yeah, probably. I think in this case, when you have seen how successful Taysom has been in QB power, it should always be your third and short play. Like, I don't think there's anything stopping you from just saying, okay, third and short, we're doing it. Until a team like, consistently stops it, we're doing it. Because I don't think it's happened this year. I don't think he has been stopped on third and short any yeah. of the times you have run it. So why would you suddenly go away from it? And I think it was just game planning. You overthought it. The, the Ravens yeah. are a very athletic front seven. They're, they're, they're going to be hard to run against, period. You probably wanted to try to get away from their strength. And I think you just overthought it because I think your strength is good enough to win there. And But but I, that is what it was. He wasn't standing on the sideline thinking, you know what? Screw Taysom. <laughs> like that was a decision that was made in the game planning process. So the original game plan, though, he was thinking, screw Taysom. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think in a room surrounded by coaches and you were like, you know what? They're not going to see this coming and we're going to do this. And then in reality, you get out there and you're like, man, if they're going to line up and do that, it should be Taysom. And so, like, I think they learned their lesson. But, like, that was – it wasn't like he was standing over there looking at his play sheet and saying, no, we're going to run Alvin here instead of Taysom. Like, it, I think it's different. When you're planning in advance, you're not taking into account game flow. You're not taking into account situation so much. It's like, okay. But I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, and I know, obviously, Pete, uh, Carmichael Jr. took a lot of the blame today, saying that's on me to a lot of questions about how that offense was running that game. And obviously, yes, it is on him. You're the guy calling the plays. And to me, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just have had questions all year, except that game against, was it Las Seattle, Vegas. where Taysom went off? Oh, Seattle, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was the only game where it was like we finally saw Taysom unleashed and had a fantastic game, and then it was like a big old tease because we haven't really seen it again. Yeah, they just seem reluctant to overload him. And I would argue that there is a big gap from what we have seen to what would be reasonably just qualified as overloading him. So, yeah, I mean, I the thing is, like, I don't think that he, I don't think that Pete is oblivious to the fact that Taysom is not in, is in, in, as involved as he should be. I think that he is struggling to balance throughout a game what that should be. I think that's where he's having a hard time is like finding those moments throughout a game and jumping on them as they occur. Like you don't have 10 minutes to sit over there and be like, oh, what should we do now? You have 40 seconds. You got to get the play call in. You got to do fast. You got to change personnel. Things are working. There's a reason you script the plays in advance, right? Because there's a lot to weigh in that moment. I think that's where he's struggling. Not so much like understanding that it should be Taysom because 
running Taysom plays, it's not as simple as like, okay, the personnel on the field, we're going to do this, 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 and this. You have to change out personnel. You have to make sure the substitutions are right. You have to make sure everyone knows what they're doing. You know, and so I think that's the difficulty. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm definitely, like I said, just struggling. We know that it's Alvin Kamara, Chris Olave, Taysom Hill. Those are your three studs on offense. Get them the damn ball. Yeah, I think to some extent, facing Lamar Jackson will make any issues within the group just magnified. But it, are, do you still feel like there are things that were figured out in that shadow of the Raiders that maybe just were difficult to get to in that particular matchup? Yeah, different offense. There's no question about it, right? And so it's a run heavy, and not to mention they have the MVP of the league, right? And with the ball in his hands every single snap. And a, a big key to that game was getting them into third and longer and forcing them to essentially become one-dimensional. Um, and when we got them into those D&Ds, it's executing, executing properly. So we got them into those down and distances. We didn't execute properly. And you know, and, and, and he hit us. And then there were times to where, again, we execute properly on first and second down, and we're not allowing the third and one of twos to where, like, that's right in their wheelhouse. So, like, that's where they want to be, and we knew we needed to push them out of that D&D, and we didn't hold up our end of the bargain. Pete Carmichael is so jealous of those dual defensive coordinators because Richard and Nielsen get to alternate every week, and Pete's just got to come out there every single week. Yeah, they only have to talk once every two weeks instead of once every one week. But yeah, that was Chris Bashar. And that was, I kind of asked him because I think to some extent, what we saw in week eight against the Raiders wasn't a mirage. I think this defense has kind of found its footing. And the matchup with Lamar Jackson is just everything the Saints don't do well in one game against one player who they just, we know they can't stop mobile quarterbacks. We know that. And he is like literally, as Cam Jordan would put it, in another bracket. So like they were always going to struggle in that matchup. And like they don't have to beat the Ravens to make the playoffs. They have to beat the Raiders and and the Steelers, you know, and the Falcons and the Panthers. They need to beat the teams that they're on par with. And I think they are below the Ravens. And so I think that, you know, this defense is ready to kind of improve. And that matchup was incredibly difficult for them and they did not handle it well. And so that's kind of what I asked Chris for short about. And that's kind of what he said. It was like, yeah, we're, you know, they have the MVP, like they have Lamar Jackson. They got the better of us. And he, I think he's right too. Like they did find themselves in the situations they wanted to be in. They got third and long. They just couldn't get off the field, you know? And so like, I think a few plays go differently, and that's a different game. If if Andy Dalton hits Marquez Callaway in the end zone at the end of the first half, it's a different game. If you're able to tackle Lamar Jackson on second and 15 inside their own 20, rather than allowing him to escape and get to Mike Davis and make it third and eight and then converting that, it's a different game. You know, So, you know, kind of like when Tennessee beat up on LSU and Brian Kelly came out and said, you know, I think that game was closer than it probably seemed. Yeah, I think this there's similar things going on here. So that's my way of saying, like, you're going up against Kenny Pickett this week. You're going up against a rookie who has not played well. I think this defense is going to show better. And it's really a question of can the backups perform? Because as we mentioned, you know, a guy like Nephi Sewell, a guy like Caden Ellis, Zach Bond, you're going to need these guys. Yeah, last game against Baltimore, I thought the defense did pretty well early on. And I just felt the fact that the offense couldn't stay on the field wore down the Saints defense so they were gassed by the third fourth quarter already and it, it was just a lack to me that that game was just offense Pete Carmichael Jr.'s play calling I'm going to go back to just killed me and I like I said I, I think the defense held their own early on 
it just really got away from them later in the game because they were just so worn down and the grinding Baltimore defense was just churning it out all over them. Yeah, I, I agree with that somewhat, but it wasn't just the offense. Like the defense also couldn't get off the field. Like it's not like they got the ball back to their offense in in, in good situations, right? Like they allowed a 12 play drive for a touchdown when they had second and 15 deep in Baltimore territory. That's not a situation. This is the second quarter. This is a part of the game where even if you have been on the field the whole first half, you should not be getting worn down. Like that should be a third and fourth quarter problem. It shouldn't have been 14-3 heading into halftime. No. The Saints no. should have had more points on the board there. Oh, sure, sure. I'm just I'm just not going to give the defense a pass and say the offense let them down because if you were going to allow a team to methodically march the ball down the field on you, Oh, That's yeah. not about being tired. That's about you not getting off the field. Because you, again, like like Chris said, you got them in third and medium and third and long, and you couldn't get them. You couldn't get them off the field. Like third and eight, that should be, you know, a punt. Third and eight from their own 15, that should be a punt. And it wasn't. And so, like, you know, those are situations where if this was anybody else, you know, if it wasn't Lamar, then you probably are off the field, right? And I think that's just where that one matchup, that – impossible matchup that this team cannot handle really cost them because he was the difference between getting off the field and just making something happen. And, and, and I think this defense struggles with mobile quarterbacks and he just is everything that they struggle against in one person amplified to a left. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be a, I mean, another test this Sunday, just because of the fact that it's not looking like Pete Werner is going to go. He's your leading tackler. Uh, been having a great sophomore season and still no Marshawn Lattimore in the mix. Luckily, this Steelers offense, though, is so inept. You look at what they they're like, I think, at the bottom of the NFL, only uh, scoring 15 points a game. There might be somebody worse than them, but it's it's been bad. And, you know, there has there has been guys that haven't lived up to their hype, like in running back Najee Harris, I know has, has been struggling all year. Yeah, we're going to talk about. Najee and uh, some of these other guys with Colin Dunlap later on. There was one more guy I wanted to hit on before we just one more guy I wanted to hit on before we move on. And uh, it's Demario Davis, because one thing that he said to me this week that, that I thought was interesting is he, cause I asked him about, he, he set a career high in sacks through nine games. He has six sacks. He's leading the team. And what he said was like, he's actually rushing the passer less this season than he has in years past. And I was like, wow, that's weird. Cause I would have assumed it was the opposite. I would have assumed that he was actually being more involved in the past rush. And that's why he has the sacks, but it's, it's, he's right. And P, according to PFF, he has only had 40 pass rush snaps this season through nine games. So that's a little over four per game. If you go back each of the last three seasons, you're looking at like seven, eight, nine per game. So like he's just become a much more efficient pass rusher and I, I thought that was interesting. Well, we need it because the defensive ends that we're paying aren't doing the job. I do see uh, me positionally evolving to more of a pressure player. I think that that's something that I've continued to work at, better, being better at, you know, in my career. Though I've still been able to, you know, do high volume things as, as a run stopper and in coverage. Um, I, just, I just think that the greatest strength of my game is is in, is in pressure in the quarterback. This year I've had to be highly efficient in that in that arena because I haven't had as many pressures as I've had before. And so certainly, you know, having a career high with, with less pressures 
is 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 showing that the work that that's been put in is working. My mindset is always just to help the team do do whatever I can to to help it get a win. Um, but but definitely see you know pressuring the quarterback as probably one of my my, my best assets. Two things: one, he's exactly right; he has been very good at pressuring the quarterback this year. Two, sounds very tired. <laughs> he's a tired sounding guy. Well, we kind of talked about this a little too before. It's he seems very down in general this year. Uh, there was. I thought leading into that Raiders game, I saw more upbeat to Mario Davis that week, especially uh, there was that uh, basketball net in the locker room and he was, you know, jostling around with the guys having some fun. And it was like the first time all year I had seen Demario smiling. I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's a, he's a leader in that group. And uh, I, I think anytime you're three and six and you're a veteran player, uh, you're going to have a much harder time with it than you know the younger players in terms of like you know you're, you're you don't have that much longer in the league so it could be that it could be something else but either way i think it is impressive to see a guy suddenly thriving in one area of his game and you know i asked dennis allen about it and he said yeah he's one of the better pressure linebackers in the nfl so yeah i mean that's just something to keep an eye on because six sacks from the linebacker position you know that's that's a lot you know a double digit sacks for a linebacker you don't see that. I mean, at least inside linebacker, like obviously outside linebacker to three, four is different, but for an inside linebacker to get to double digit sacks in a season, you know, that's, that's impressive. So he, he deserves some credit there for sure. Um, a minor sack note here. I know David Onyemata has been somebody that we've talked about not performing up to his standards. And at least the last two games, he's had a sack in each game. So David Onyemata, at least for getting the job done a little bit there. Yeah. See, I, I, I think that to, to a larger degree, like, saying someone had a good game because they had a sack is like, it, it happens too much. I think we overvalue sacks from a defensive line perspective because sure, you got through for one sack. What did you do the rest of the game? <laughs> like, right, I think Marcus right. Davenport has actually had a better season than, you know, a David Onyemata, but his, the sack numbers aren't there. So everyone assumes, oh, he's playing terribly, but it's like, oh, he's got 20 pressures. He just hasn't taken down the quarterback, but he has forced incompletions and he's ruined plays. But like, okay, David Onyemata, he got a sack in that game because Cam Jordan was like playing like, you know, fence of Lamar Jackson and like forced him to sit in the backfield until DeMar David could get there. Like, so it's not necessarily a David Onyemata play. I, I don't know. I think like sacks in general as a stat are overrated. But I think from the linebacker position, position where you're not typically going to be tackling the quarterback, to have those numbers means that you are, because he's making an impact in other places. He's making a bunch of tackles he's playing coverage and he's also getting sacks so i just i don't know huh? the dns agree with you because they're not getting sacks this is true <laughs> but all right that's gonna wrap it up for that segment on inside black and gold we're gonna come back we're gonna talk to trevor penning not live but we did talk to trevor penning in the locker room today and we recorded it we're gonna play it for you stick around for that on inside black and gold another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. My name is Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. Hit that subscribe button, please. Leave a review, please. We will very much appreciate it when you do. And so, as we mentioned previously, we're going to go into Trevor Penning a lot in this segment. And then at the tail end of the show, we're going to talk to Colin Dunlap, host of Fourth Down in the Steel City, and also the host of the Fan Morning Show on 93.7 out in Pittsburgh. But yeah, so one of the things that we have been waiting on, it's been a bummer all season, but we have been waiting on Trevor Penning to get back from his turf toe injury. And but and we've seen him walking around. We saw him on the scooter, and then we saw him in a boot, and then we saw him kind of ambling around the locker room. He was back out there at practice today. He was working off to the side, and he has now been designated to return. I asked him today like if he knew exactly when he might be back. If the coaches had let him know when he would be in, involved in practice, he said he's still not entirely sure, but in the, he's in the ballpark of being close, right? Like it's a matter of days, not weeks. Um, so that's that's a positive thing. And whenever he is able to get out there, uh, it, it's going to be an exciting moment, I think, for Saints fans. Yeah, that was a huge positive today, taking attendance, you know, at practice, you know, looking at who's not there, obviously. And then... Penning comes out with the trainer and is going off to the side with the offensive lineman and doing some work with the trainer there. But yeah, huge to see him at least back on the practice field after suffering that turf toe injury. And yeah, we, we've kind of talked about this before that the title turf toe doesn't do that injury any justice. Absolutely not. Like that is a brutal injury. And, and I think, uh, and we, we talked to this to him about this today. It's like, they should really just rename this injury to something that sounds worse because like, it's not a joke. Like it is a real thing. And it was like, you've seen like several saints players have to deal with it. It's, it, it's just a, it's a very weak sounding injury that is anything, but so here is that slightly abridged interview with Trevor Penning in the locker room today. Have a listen. Yesterday was 10 weeks. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been a while since, uh, I've been out playing football, but it's really good to be kind of getting back into the swing of things. Was, was today your first time doing side work, or is that something you've been no, doing? No, I've been, I've been doing that, I think, for a week now, I want to say. Just kind of progressing over every day, just progressing a little bit and getting a little bit more into it and getting more up to speed with it. So. Is it difficult to hold yourself back and not jump in full speed? Because you're clearly counting uh, the days. Yeah, I'm definitely counting the days. It's it's hard. I mean, going out there today, today was my first day like watching walkthrough in person, so... That was kind of hard seeing. I'm like, shoot, I really want to get out there and even just walk through. I want to go out there and just get back into it. So, but it's it's coming shortly. So, um, just taking it one day at a time and going from there. What are some of the things you were able to do to just keep working your technique and, and some of the stuff you were working on there? Yeah. So I was I was still doing some upper body stuff. Stuff I could, you know, I could still work my punch, still work all the upper body stuff in the game. Um, still working in the weight room, doing strength training, um, conditioning. I was on the bike pretty much every day, doing something, um, just finding stuff I could do to get better without actually running on it or pass setting or doing any of that stuff. And without actually being able to kind of test it, do you feel more comfortable though? Like just right now, as opposed to where you were pre-injury, like just with some of the stuff you've done? Um, in some some aspects, yeah. I think the mental side of it, I've gotten a lot more into it. It's, it's a lot of the stuff's kind of slowing down to me. I'm kind of, um, understanding it more, uh, so yeah. Hey, what's, what's it been like for you watching the some of the guys in your rookie class, and, you know, Chris and Monty, mm. go out and, and play really well? Yeah, it's been fun to watch. I mean, seeing those guys um, 
really get into, I mean, coming in the same time as me, seeing them have success, I mean, it's really fun to watch. Is it kind of add to uh, wish you were out there and seeing yeah, these guys no, I, definitely, I see that and I kind of like, shoot, I wish I could be out there with them and playing, so, but it's, it's coming soon. When did you feel you were, like, right before the injury, like, how did you feel you, you progressed throughout the, the training? Uh, there's definitely a lot I progressed at. I think I got over those whatever weeks it was, like four or five weeks, it definitely, I definitely improved every day. I, was, I could see improvements every day. So, um, and then kind of the injury kind of slowed me down a little bit. I was kind of, I was upset with it, obviously. But, um, you know, hoping I can get back in, get back into the swing of things and continue to progress. This is the longest process you've ever Yeah, I've, this is really my first serious injury I've ever had. I mean, I've had a couple sprained ankles, fingers, stuff like that. But other than that, this is the first thing I've ever really experienced. So how do you take it when they, they laid out the timetable for you? Uh, kind of looking at a... Yeah, I was kind of like, oh my god, this is, this is a lot. Because I originally, when I originally got hurt, I was like, oh, okay, it's maybe like a week or two, I'll be fine, it's just a toe. I mean, then I kind of realized, oh, it's a little more serious than that. So um, that was a bummer for sure, but... Um, no, I'll, I'll come back stronger. You kind of answered this already, but so you stayed in for the extra point after hurting your foot. So you didn't know at that point that it was going to be like, okay, this is significant. Yeah, I had no idea. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't really feel it much. I just, like, it, it didn't really feel like something that was, like, bad. Like, I needed to leave and get, you know, x-rays, MRIs for. Something I was like, oh, like, it's kind of bugging me. Like, I can't really put, like, put much pressure on it. It kind of feels weird. But then they took my shoe off and they're like, Oh, that thing, uh, it's a little more serious than we thought. And that's when I was kind of like, okay, you're, we got to get this checked out. Do you think they need to come up with a different name for a turf down? Probably, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound very serious, but it's, it's pretty serious. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot more severe than it sounds. Like you, you said, you could see it when you took your shoe off, like there, you could see something was wrong. Yeah, it was, it was it was fully dislocated. It was, oh, it was. So, not to be gruesome, but like you're looking at it, did it just like, like was it going? Like, yeah, it didn't, right it didn't look great. Yeah, they had to pop it back in place and everything, and yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it wasn't. A, I mean, it didn't feel good. But, um, all the all the pain tolerance and the adrenaline in the game and I don't know. Yeah, I know Landon had a similar injury last year with the surgery. Have you kind of talked to him at all about yeah, the process to get back? He's talked to me about it, kind of what to expect and how it feels now, even. So, um, yeah, I've talked to him quite a bit about it. Did he give you any you know any particular advice that that stands out? Um, really just I mean, take it day by day, take yeah. your time with it, make sure it's feeling good and ready to go and um, yeah just don't push it too heavy if it's feeling rough one day like ease off a little make sure it's don't re-hurt it or something like that so um, yeah does it kind of kill you to not be able to, to play like what's, what's the Sunday like for you uh, usually just watch I mean the first couple of weeks they didn't have me going to the game I just watched it at home just on my couch it was pretty pretty uh, I don't know where it is I don't know. I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't yeah. really like it. It was just kind of like, shoot, I want to be out there with, with these guys and, you know, being on getting the game game day feel and just being out there with my team. So it's definitely hard, but now that um, this last Monday was my first game being on the sidelines, so I was definitely not the outcome we wanted, but it was, it was good to be back out there. Yeah, so one thing that really stood out about Trevor today is 
he just seems very excited to be back and just to be able to play football. Like you, you have always wonder about the makeup of certain players in terms of, you know, are they just playing football because they're good at it? Right. Like, because I think there's a difference between like loving the game of football and loving playing football and playing football because you're insanely good at it. Like it's the difference between a Cam Jordan and like a Jadavian Clowney, hmm. right? right. Like everyone knew Jadavian Clowney was like the best football player on the planet. But did he ever strike you as a guy who was like going to do the extra work? He literally showed up, like didn't practice and like did like a 300 pound like deadlift just to show off he could do it and like break the South Carolina like like record for that weightlift. And then he was, and he didn't even care. Like it was just like, whatever. And, but then you have Cam Jordan, a guy who just literally shows up at every OTA. It's like, and that's the difference. Like Cam Jordan loves to play football. Jadavian Clowney loved to be really good at football. <laughs> and I think Trevor Penning, like just the way he talks about it and the way he kind of approaches the game. I think he is on the closer to the Cam Jordan side of things. Yeah. Someone that was definitely talked about how much, you know, it, it pained him. Not obviously, obviously the injury was painful, but not to be with the guys working out, uh, seeing all these other rookies like uh, Chris Olave, Alante Taylor having success already in the NFL and just wishing, you know, obviously he could be out there. And right now, too, man, the Saints O-line could really use him because they are pretty banged up. Yeah, I think they asked him, like, he what won't he be out there yet. He was like, it's like, yeah, I miss just mauling people and having people run behind me. Like, like this is a guy who loves to run block. And I think James Hurst has has played well. Like, I think he has been as good as you could have hoped in that role, in that left tackle role. Right. But what you are missing without Trevor Penning and what I think is going to inevitably, you know, kind of get him on this, in the starting line at that job is his, his ability as a run blocker is real. Like it is, it is very good. And so you probably, it's, it's interesting because I think James Hurst is probably at this point in his career. And at this point in Trevor's career, a better pass protector, just in terms of, yeah, you know, just, skills and techniques but i think trevor as a as a as a run blocker and even like if you get him on the field in jumbo sets like when you instead of lewis kid it's it's trevor penning a guy who's gonna maul people you know that's an advantage so getting him back i think will be a big thing for this offense even if he's only in a limited role and he's just missing getting into fights with his teammates too yeah just the attitude right it is funny because when you talk to him in the locker room he's just, just like smiling goofy dude but then he puts on pads and a helmet and he's just like a menace to society i did think it was interesting i asked him about this when he got the injury he stayed in right and blocked on the extra point and he and i was like did you even realize like how significant that injury was and he said no he had no idea and i think that's like really telling of just how easy it is to like end up with a significant injury in the game of football he literally had an injury that was going to require surgery and keep him out for 10 weeks just before he could get practicing again. And he didn't even know it until they took his shoe off and they were like, Oh crap, <laughs> your toe is on the wrong side of your foot. Right? <laughs> like it's a serious thing guys, you know? And, and I think the more we hear about it and the more we learn about it, it's like, there's fewer and fewer people who are like, Ooh, he has a toe injury, but there's still, you still see it. Um, do we know what's the technical term for it? Because I don't think it's, it's, you know, obviously turf toe is not the official name for the injury. No, I mean, you're spraining a ligament in your toe. Right. And in, and in severe cases, a sprain is a tear 
and you have literally torn ligaments in like, think about like, if you just didn't have your big toe, like, do you think you could walk around? Do you think you could block a defensive end? Like, no. So, you know, it's like, I don't think people want to see pictures of Trevor Pennings, like, you know, gory foot. Oh, they but at, do. at a certain you know point, it. I'm, it's like, hey, Trevor, can you just share the picture I know you took and sent to your friends <laughs> to show this injury? Because maybe once people see how gnarly that thing's going to look, uh, people will start to understand. But yeah, he has a plate in his shoe that he that he walks around. It's basically a steel toe shoe right now um, just to kind of keep that stable. But yeah, I mean, he's going to get back to practice soon. And he looks like he stayed in shape. You know, like it's tough to tell, obviously, but he's been doing like upper body work and he's been back on the treadmill and doing work there. So hopefully it doesn't take him too long because I, I want to see him out there. Like I was excited watching him at the senior bowl. I was excited when the saints drafted him. I was excited watching him in the preseason. I want to see him bully some guys on an NFL field. Yeah. Unfortunately, obviously the the biggest thing from all this too, is just his development has been stunted just because of missing this time. We saw a little bit of that progress, even in the preseason and just not having that those regular season reps, uh, definitely a big hit for him. But, yeah, I love the guy's attitude off the field and on it, and definitely looking forward to seeing, you know, some more positive news, obviously, for this Saints team and for the offensive line. No question. But, yeah, so it's, just, it's nice to have some good injury news to yeah. cut the bad injury news that we have virtually every week. Hopefully the Saints can get Jarvis Landry back. Hopefully, you know, Marshawn gets back at some point. I have people tweeting at me. Did Marshawn die? I don't think so. No, I, I saw him on the bench this this past game. He he does he live. Yeah. He does exist. They do exist. Um, I think that was the Santa Claus commercial. But then I, I also mentioned, I think last time too. It's like I also saw Mike Thomas on the sideline for the Raiders game, and then oh, he was put on injured reserve. So yeah. So all that means is that Marshawn is in fact alive. So if you right. were wondering, he's amongst the living, right? Whether he died. He did not die. And it's just a question of whether he still has two working kidneys. Yeah. And to me too, you know, you mentioned Jarvis Landry. I was hoping to see him a full go of practice. He's still limited right now. Hopefully I guess going into the last day before game, you know, before the the team takes off Saturday, we see him return to full practice. I don't know exactly the extent of how much that ankle is still bothering him. We will find out on Sunday we're going to talk more about Sunday with Colin Dunlap, host of Fourth Down in the Steel City. Saints are headed out to Pittsburgh. They're going to play at Akrisure Stadium. I've been calling it Heinz Field for an entire week. It is Akrisure Stadium. It's going to be kind of cold. It's going to be kind of chilly. The, the field conditions are always a question. It's real grass, so we don't have to talk about field turf. Isn't that fun? We're going to get into a lot of that and more here on Inside Black and Gold. Stick around. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. And as promised, we have a special guest to help us break down what to expect when the Saints visit the Steelers in Week 10. And that is Colin Dunlap, host of the 4th Down in the Steel City podcast. That's another 2400 Sports Odyssey special. He's also the host of the Fan Morning Show on 93.7 in Pittsburgh. How you doing, man? I'm great. How's everything with you guys? 
you know, it's good. It's, you know, down here when the high temperature is 70, that's officially cold for us. And so we got to that point today. So, you know, it's like breaking out sweaters and stuff. I feel like your, your experience will be slightly different though. Yeah, it fluctuates. It's been nice here, but it's going to be cold uh, for the game. Cold, rainy, miserable, nasty. Autumnal Western Pennsylvania. So there you go. A wonderful time for a dome team this weekend. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. But, well, this I mean, breaking news kind of going into this game, the Steelers are without their kicker, Chris Boswell. They mm-hmm. spent a bunch of money on him. So that might even up the score just a little bit. He's a guy that's been been really apt and able to kick outdoors and they don't have him. So they'll march out some tomato can they grabbed off the scrap heap. <laughs> yeah, you, me- you mentioned injury. Obviously, they're a big one for you guys. It's expected back. T.J. Watt, what's the, bi- the latest update on him? Uh, T.J. Watt, you know, Mike Tomlin talks about this all the time. T.J. Watt's from another planet. And that's great. And T.J. Watt, other than uh, Aaron Donald, is someone that can take over a game and, and has taken over a lot of games. I'm just not so sure – He's at the point cardio-wise or at the point he can take over games just by plug-and-play, how long he's missed. Even though it's a pec injury, you know, that's asking a lot for T.J. Watt to just get thrown into the game with just, you know, four or five practices. And he didn't really practice because of the mandate from the in the CBA that there weren't really practices in the bye week. So he's only had probably two, three padded practices. He'll give it a rip, uh, but I don't expect T.J. Watt, you know, prime tj watt but he'll make a difference yeah but i feel like anytime your your name is watt you feel like you're just having him out there is is a big impact in, in any way but right so his injury just to be clear like he's not quote unquote healthy right like he's gonna play through it but he he's gonna need surgery eventually right is that that's kind of my understanding yeah i think it's it's in the balance um see i think if he i don't think he can hurt it worse or he wouldn't be out there right uh but i do think he'll probably get surgery in the off season. but the way the timeline is now that the surgery won't put him out into next season if he does in fact need surgery. So he might as well just go at it and go. He's paid to play football and right. he's not a guy that's going to sit there. Now, besides a Watt obviously being missing, what's been the deal with this Pittsburgh defense? Obviously everybody's been talking about how it's not the steel curtain anymore. Right. Well, the cornerbacks suck. So that <laughs> that's number one. Devin Bush has gotten slightly better. So there's that. I think, you know, one thing that's that's glaringly obvious is Miles Jack was not as advertised. You know, everybody thought, well, change of scenery comes from Jacksonville. Miles Jack is going to make a bunch of splash plays. He he's simply not. Minka Fitzpatrick's very good. Minka Fitzpatrick, though, when he's bad, is bad. Um, but I think he still is one of the best safeties in the game. But he's had some glaring flubs. You know, whenever you put Miles Jack and you put him with Devin Bush, who stinks. Um, you get an average player. They were looking for better from the, they, I mean, you guys follow football. You have your whole lives. Pittsburgh synonymous with a linebacker position. Um, they have an edge rusher, obviously, and TJ Watt, but they've always had a full complement of linebackers and the linebackers not named TJ Watt are very average on this football team. One of the interesting things I think about the Steelers and, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Mike Tomlin obviously has been there forever. Bill Belichick has been in New England forever. Sean Payton was in New Orleans forever. All three of those coaches ended up having to move on to a new quarterback, you know, whether it was a rookie, whether it was a young player, or, you know, a veteran player. It, it drove Sean out of, the, out of the coaching sphere. It exhausted him so much. I feel like Bill Belichick honestly might be getting 
to the end of his rope, just dealing with the constant quarterback uncertainty. How is Mike Tomlin dealt with that? Because I feel like when you're a coach and you've had that guy for so long to suddenly not have the quarterback that you are confident in every week, that's got to be a change. Like a you know, there's an interesting dynamic. Like you guys watch the Steeler news conferences or get bits and pieces and snippets and you go, wow, like Mike Tomlin is so prophetic and, Look at the stuff he says. Like, you get red paint, you paint the barn red. You know, I've heard all that five times. So, for us, it's kind of like through. So, I think he's handled it as best he can. The big question here now is this. And, you know, the, the same old rhetoric about the, Mike Tomlin never having a losing season and all that. Well, did Mike Tomlin not have a losing season or did Ben Roethlisberger not have a losing season for right. Mike Tomlin? That's a very real question. And this was a question, uh, Jeff and Steve, for a long time. How is Mike Tomlin going to be as a coach whenever he doesn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback? Well, we're in the thick of it. We're finding it out. Hmm. And Mike Tomlin's a defensive-edged coach. I mean, he came up on the defensive side of the ball. It's not like they're holding people to 10 points and the offense just isn't scoring points. I think there's a lot of questions about Mike Tomlin and just how much, as with Peyton – uh, just how much it was tied to Breeze. And, you know, it's no knock. Every great coach in history, pretty much, maybe outside of Joe Gibbs, has been tied to a great, great quarterback, like a truly great quarterback. But I think we're starting to understand that the true greatness of the Pittsburgh Steelers over the past 12, 15 years may have been a lot more Ben than it was Tomlin. Now, you mentioned just before that, you know, what Tomlin is saying, you guys have, you know, been there, done that, heard it before. Right. Is it something that the players feel that way, you think, as well? No, because there's enough new young guys. Okay. There's Najee Harris. There's Kenny Pickett. George, right. I mean, you guys live in SEC territory. You've seen George Pickens before. Like, how good is this kid, right? right. Um, somebody like him. Minka Fitzpatrick's relatively new after the trade. The cornerbacks are all new. Miles Jack walks in. He's new. The offensive line, it, people couldn't pick them out if they were walking in the mall other than they were a bunch of big guys. Nobody knows who these guys are. But all that said, I don't think it's, I don't think it's repetitive yet. Um, but I will say this. It, one of the big talking points this week, guys, is – well, there, there's two. The first one is this. Is Najee Harris maybe Trent Richardson all over again? Hmm. That, that's a very real discussion point at this point. He had 1,200 yards or whatever it was. He had a very good rookie season. But a lot of people, you hear this, don't ever take a running back in the first round. I don't know if he's good, if he's not. I don't know. What What I do know is this. It hasn't lived up to being a first-round pick. I will say it's difficult to ever be Trent Richardson because he was the number three overall right. pick in that draft. Like, they flipped him, though, just a year later and got a first-round pick, you know? and oh, so. Sure. Yeah, I just think, yeah. No, you're right, you know, but the Steelers <laughs> the Steelers never finish in a place where they get the number three pick, you know. So, Steeler fans looked at, look at things through a different uh, eye of the prism. I'm somebody who, in the past two years, I wouldn't have taken either one of the guys they took. I would not have taken a running back. I would not have taken a quarterback. It was glaringly obvious when DeCastro walked out of town, when Pouncey walked out of town, when Ramon Foster walked out of town, when – uh, Villanueva walked out of town that the Steelers were going nowhere without an offensive line. And I thought you can piecemeal skill position players in and get some things done. 
and we're seeing an offensive line that's that's just terrible, and they did nothing to make it better. Oh, I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you pick a running back in the top five, they not only have to be great, they have to be like other – like, Saquon Barkley has been fantastic. He was still a terrible pick by the Giants when they I, picked him. <laughs> you know, Jeff, you, you bring up an awesome point, and I said this actually uh, on Tuesday on our show. If you pick a running back in the first round, he – needs to walk in and be the best football player yep. on your team. And, and there's there's no room for argument, and there's no room for debate after that for me. Yeah. No, I mean, the Chiefs took Clyde edwards Elayer in the number 32 overall, and he's been okay. But, right. like, that means that he is a massive bust, yes. <laughs> right? Okay as a first-round running back. Like, Rashad Penny, there's a lot of bad first-round running back picks if you want to go that, through the last five, six years. And I don't know if Najee, you know, in year two is at his peak form yet, but – yeah, I mean, that's that's a big question because I know a lot of people drafted him high in fantasy this year and they're not too happy about it. Well, Kenny Pickett's another story, Steve, that, that just won't quit here. You know, that's another thing. If Kenny Pickett and, – and look, I'm a, we're the flagship of the University of Pittsburgh football. We carry Pitt. There's a big Pitt place. You know, it's either Pitt or Penn State in, in, the, in the area where we live in West Virginia as well. If Kenny Pickett went to Iowa State or Washington State or UTEP, he would not get the excuses that he gets. That's just fact. Is there different pressure on him to some degree because he was Pitt's quarterback? Maybe. There's also a much longer leash. And that just seems to me, people don't want to be as critical of him. I, I haven't seen it from Kenny Pickett at the pro level. little yeah. off topic. Uh, just curious what you think of tight end Lucas Kroll, who's on the Saints practice squad. He's a guy that once he went to the practice squad, I was yeah. thinking maybe that the Steelers would end up you know, stealing him away to, t to pair back up with Pickett. But he's still around, and we really haven't seen much of him here. Well, he's got fabulous hair. That's number one, <laughs> Lucas Kroll does. Second of all, I was on the practice field, and I was talking to Pat Narduzzi last year because he transferred from Florida, right, yeah. um, to the University of Pittsburgh. And when he came – Pitt, Pitt turns out tight ends. That's one thing Pitt does. They have a bunch of guys that have been pros at the tight end position. He walked out uh, in pads, and I said, Holy hell, who yeah. is this? Like, it doesn't matter if you're the, an NFL team or if you're like San Jose State or Tusculum. You put that kid out there. He's the biggest skill position guy that there is. I, I, he looked like every bit of a pro to me. And he looked, and I know that Pickett counted on him. Pickett used him in that Clemson game. Uh, and he was really, really good. I think he'll get a little run. No, I mean, yeah, he looked good in, in the preseason. I think he's just a developmental guy, and it's going to take right. a year or two, but I think they want to keep him around. I do want to get back to – so I call him Kenny Two Gloves. What? So I, I, clearly you think that he has underperformed what his expectations should have been. So what, what have his struggles been? Like what should the Saints be expecting to see? You know, if things go well for the Saints, what, where will he have struggled? Uh, as Red zone. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers – their longest touchdown this year is eight yards. Their longest yeah. touchdown is eight yards. Wow. The next, the team that has the next shortest distance for a touchdown is 23. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's mind numbing really. They, they've not been good in the red zone. They have seemingly had a bunch of miscommunication with illegal shifts and things. I don't think he has the grasp of the scrimmage line at times and what to do. Now, look, it, it, he's scrappy. He's tough. He's all of that moxie, all, you know, all the yeah. coach's son stuff that people want to talk about. John Stockton, you know, um, he's all of that kind of stuff. But 
he does have twice as many interceptions as touchdowns. He does throw the football to the other team. He had a chance to beat the Miami Dolphins and threw not one, but two picks under six minutes left that weren't good balls. I, I think he really struggles in the red zone and he definitely struggles over the middle of the field. Now, <laughs> I don't need to mention this guy in Louisiana, but Matt Canada sucks. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. We know him well. Yeah. <laughs> believe me. Um, <laughs> Matt Canada's inability to call things over the middle of the field has not at all helped Kenny Pickett. But I still think Kenny Pickett could do some things to help himself. Matt Canada should not be employed. Is he Man. still is he still calling like just crazy shifts on every play? Everything. Jet sweeps all over the place. Not only do they shift, they shift into a nothing. The guy shifts and then he's not in a vital part of the play. And it doesn't make any sense. That and he is the king of the third and two jet sweep where someone needs to gain seven yards to get back to the scrimmage line. So it becomes a third. He turns his own third and two to a third and nine. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Uh, he's not – I'm surprised he's still employed. I A lot of people thought he would be fired during the bye week. Uh, he wasn't. Uh, I think they're going to probably just ride it out and see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Reich is the offensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Steelers next year. Right. But um, – I'm not telling anybody <laughs> in the boot <laughs> anything about Matt Canada. No. You don't know. <laughs> I can't believe he keeps getting hired. I, there was a point where I thought that he and Ed Ogeron were just going to just have a fist fight at the middle of the field. Like they, they just did not get along. You know, I caught some heat and I don't think I'm wrong, but he recruited Mike Tomlin's son to the university of Maryland. And I seem to think Mike Tomlin doesn't have the heart to fire him because of that. I, <laughs> That's just how I feel about it. There's there's something there why he won't terminate this guy. One of the few bright spots on your guys' offense has been the undrafted rookie at running back, Jalen Warren. Are there any maybe other names that Saints fans might not know about on offense and defense that could have an impact on this game? Pat Fryermuth is very good. Pat Fryermuth could grow into one of the best tight ends in this game, I think. He's super good. He's a Penn State kid. He's gigantic. He's a big target especially now with Claypool gone, traded right. to um, the Bears, Pratt Fryermuth becomes that target in the middle of the field. The big talking point on Sports Talk Radio here in Pittsburgh, though, Steve, that you touched on is everybody thinks Jalen Warren should be the number one back. He runs harder. He runs more inside. He runs the football with more zest. He almost runs it like James Conner did when James Conner was the back here for a little bit. He just flat out runs better than – than Najee Harris, but there's the first round pedigree. There's all of that. And you think that you have to get him the football in, in Najee Harris. I would not be surprised though, if coming off of the off week, this is where the carries even up or they even tilt toward Jalen Warren. Wow. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Seattle, right? Well, when you had, you had drafted Rashad Penny and it was like, well, you drafted a guy in the first round, you have to play him. But then they were like, but Chris Carson's better. I don't care. It was a seventh round pick. He's better. Um, so yeah, I think it's a similar scenario. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the guy's just been better. He's flat out better. He hits the hole quicker. He has a burst. He does things, uh, just across the board better than Najee Harris has. It's going to be interesting. I'll be, I'll tell you this. You, you can tell if he'll be a factor in the game by the first two series. Mike Tomlin has been loath to give him early game carries. Even if the carries end up evening up, he gives him carries late in the game when generally the Steelers are getting beat. 
if he gives him some carries the first two series, things may be changed with the Steelers off. All right. Now, so one, one more thing, and then we we'll cut you loose here. So I think this is a good way to go about it. So the Steelers will win this game if blank, you know, what, what would you say? The Steelers will win the game. If, if the Steelers corners show up, if there's not a home run ball from the saints offense, which I think could happen outside on the hashes. I think that the Steelers will win the football game too. If they sustain drives, even if they kick a field goal um, and they sustain drives and essentially play defense on offense and the scores kept low. If their tomato can kicks a field goal. They signed this kid, Matthew Wright. Okay. They've signed him before. You know, when you were a kid and you played football, like peewee football, uh, it's not allowed to be called midget football anymore. It's like peewee football or youth football. And you got a trophy and there's a guy, he's as big as the person on the top of that trophy. (laughs) He's, if he's five, four, 119 pounds, I am as big as Ray Zellers. Um, I'm telling you, it's incredible. He is so they signed him last year and he has no range like his, his honestly his range is like 46 yards but maybe he'll kick some field goals that being said though i think if the steelers can even if they come up empty even if they go uh turnover on downs and maybe a field goal here and there they can't go three and out they can't keep giving new orleans the football they can't do things like that or they're dead real quick i'm wondering too for uh myself and any other saints yeah. fans listening to the podcast visiting what are some places that are must-sees or must-eats besides, like, a Permanti Brothers, obviously? Yeah, Permanti's is like the, the shtick, like everybody got to right, Exactly, but I figured that. You know what's crazy, though? It's one of those things where it really does live up to the billing the first time. <laughs> like, if you're an out-of-towner and you yeah. go, it, 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 it works. It hits. It's that – it's like – and I know it's hokey or whatever. Like, like my son and I were in New Orleans not long ago. Like, you got to get up in the morning and go to Cafe Du Monde. Like, okay, you, you right. have to. Because if you've never been there before, it does hit. Like, yeah. it's, it is good. You know, and you got the... <laughs> like, eight in the morning, right? Um, so, Permanis is like that. That's good. Um, I will say, if you're a Saints fan, the actual tailgate area before the game is wonderful. It's big. It's spacious. There's a lot of parking spaces. And Steeler fans, because the team stinks, and they're not Ravens fans, and they're not <laughs> Browns fans, whatever, they're actually very welcoming. And you can walk up to a tailgate and talk to somebody and have a good time in the parking lot, honestly. And it's a Sunday 1 o'clock game. They will be out there, I don't know, 4 or 5 in the morning, set right. up, ready to go. Um, so it, it that'll be – that's a good time to just take in the atmosphere, smell – because – you know, like with the dome, it's kind of condensed. It's it's a little bit different. It's real. You know, you have like the overpasses and the train station, and all that stuff, and then like um, what Smoothie King Center or whatever that place is called right yeah, there, right? Got it. And, and, and like people go to hotels and like go to the hotel bar and drink and stuff before. This is like parking lots. You know, that's that's what I would recommend as an out of towner is take in the Northeast tailgating scene. Now it's it's more like a college football feel. Right. You know, it's it's more like going to Baton Rouge or it's more like going to Auburn or somewhere like that. I actually grew up in New Jersey, so I've been yeah. to plenty of Giants tailgates. Right. Uh, it's it's a good time. That's that's what I would do. But I would 
I know it's the cliche, and I know that people look at it like, oh, I see. Permanis is worth it. I mean, it it really it does it's, hit. It's definitely a must hit, right? Yes, it, it is. So so there's that. And Mount Washington is the big overlook where essentially the city's built down in a bowl because yeah. oddly enough, there are three rivers. They weren't joking. And so you can look down and see it and you're up above the city and it's a great vantage point to look at everything. So awesome. that's that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. We've been talking to Colin Dunlap, host of the fourth down in the Steel City podcast. Go behind any of the lines. Check it out. He's also the host of the Fan Morning Show on 93.7 in Pittsburgh. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, man. All right. You guys are great. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. And all right, that's going to just about wrap it up for us here on Inside Black and Gold. This is our kind of final show before Saints Steelers on Sunday in Week 10. The thing that he said that I think was really interesting was not only did he say their longest touchdown of the year was eight yards, They've also been bad in the red zone <laughs> and they have not scored from outside the red zone. <laughs> so that's not a good combination of things. Yeah. What stood out too, to me is when he said, you know, obviously the outside, he, he expects a long bomb to be, you know, something that has been an Achilles heel with this uh, Steelers defense. They're very susceptible at corner, man. Uh, let, let's hope so because we have not really seen that air attack flourish of late. Yeah, I mean, it's put up yard, just hasn't put up big plays. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you, and that's gonna be that's gonna be a big factor. But thanks everyone who listened. Make sure to hit that subscribe button where we get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe over on YouTube at WWL Sports. Make sure to check out WWL.com. You can follow me, Jeff Nowak, on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. It's like Sarah Michelle, but with an E. Oh man, I got so much of that in high school. Sarah Geller. Michelle's your cousin, right? Yeah, we're related, sure. Yeah, you just chose to spell your name differently because you're weird. <laughs> I also have, because of the friends, because you had um, Ross uh, yes. and Monica Geller. Ross and Rachel. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ross and Monica, that's true. There it is spelled wrong, too. Yeah, the, the, the wrong way like <laughs> me, right? <laughs> yeah, there it is. All right, let's get a win. Peace, y'all. Talk to you first take, 8 a.m. Sunday. Boop, boop, boop.